people who are good at school and bad at tests, bad at school, good at tests, bad at school, bad at tests. You're in one, everybody's in one of those four. But I think even if you're good at tests, nobody really enjoys taking them. And sometimes you just, you get flustered. Sometimes the teacher asks you a question like expand and that's what you do. You just make it bigger is what Peter did. He took it literally. Or sometimes they say, where's X? Do you have that next one? And you just say, there, it's right there. Come on. That works, right? You answered the question. What's the last one? This one you can't see. It says, name an angle complimentary to BDC. And, and angle says, you look much thinner from over here. So it's an angle giving a compliment to somebody. Sometimes you just struggle. This is a guy named Peter. This, was, this is Political Science 201. The question on his test was, write uh, an essay on the U.S. capitalism and its influence on foreign nations. So that's U.S. capitalism and its influence on foreign nations. In 1776, God created the United States of America. Before then, everyone was under the rule of the tyrant king of Britain, Prince Charles. He put taxes on everything, and then the United States of America was formed in, retali in retaliation to taxes. What was once a rival gang has become one of the most powerful nations in the universe. America is now president of the world, and some people aren't cool with that. In the War of 1812, Osama bin Laden declared jihad on the West Coast and killed Tupac. In retaliation, we killed the notorious Saddam Hussein, but accidentally killed the notorious Biggie Smalls. Just when things couldn't get any worse, they smashed a plane into our trade buildings, so we responded by killing Princess Di. Is this an arms race anyone can win? Whoever wins, the children lose. And who cares? I hate kids. A bunch of little punks ruining my movie. I wanted to see the passion of the Christ in peace, not have a bunch of stupid kids crying. Oh, well, at least people weren't paying or anything. God loves America. That's why he's on our money. And money is important to the world because without money, people would be poor. Many nations are poor because they have no money. America tries to give them money sometimes, but I don't think they know how to use it because they're still poor. I think they try to eat the money because they're spoiled by missionaries who give them food instead of teaching them how to get money. I think that's what they mean when they say nickels a day can feed a child. I thought, how could food be so cheap over there? It's not. They just eat the nickels. <laughs> and then came the Indians, who my cousin tells me ran, a casino, ran casinos and had a power level of at least 10,000. When Americans first came to this nation, the Indians picked a lot of fights and killed America's best friend, not Mexico. The Americans got really mad and became the United States of America too, that's U.S. too, and killed all the Indians. There are still some Indians, but now America can beat them in one punch without going to U.S. too. In conclusion, the USA rules and everyone else drools. That's why I don't let other nations in my secret clubhouse. Other nations and girls. In conclusion, girls are icky. So I don't know how Peter did on his uh, final, but sometimes you take a test, it's tough. You don't know what you're doing. I don't endorse any of the things Peter said, by the way. So don't, don't leave thinking that. This is Deuteronomy 7. You're in Judges. Don't flip back. Stay there. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess and drives you and excuse me and drives out before you many nations, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Don't intermarry with them, don't give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars smash their sacred stones, 
cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. That's pretty clear, right? Very clear from those verses what God wants his people to do when they enter the land. This is Judges 1, starting in verse 19. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. As Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who drove from it the three sons of Anak. The, Benjamite, the Benjamites, however, failed to dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. Skip to verse 27. But Manasseh did not drive out the people of all of these places and their surrounding settlements, for the Canaanites were determined to live in the land. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Neither did Zebulon drive out the Canaanites living in these other places who remained among them, but they did not sub- subject them, but they did subject them to forced labor. Nor did Asher drive out those living in these places, and because of this, the people of Asher lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. Neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemesh or Beth Anoth, but the, Naphtha- the Naphtalites too lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. The Amorites confined the Danites, the Danites are part of Israel, to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. And the Amorites were determined also to hold on to Mount Her- these other places. But when the power of the Lord of uh, Joseph increased, they too were pressed into forced labor. Does it sound like, according to that, they did what God wanted them to do? No. He said, drive them out completely. And you read about eight different tribes of Israel and it says they did not drive them out of the land. It's just, it's a refrain. They made a start, but they didn't finish. They didn't finish the job that the Lord had for them. This is a side point for today. It's not the main point, but just for us, tangent, partial obedience is still disobedience. If I tell my kids to clean their rooms, and that means pick up their toys, take care of their dirty clothes, and make their bed, and they make their bed, and they pick up their toys, have they cleaned their room? No. Until they do all three, they haven't obeyed. Two out of three is better than one out of three, but it's still disobedience. Until you do all of it, you haven't done it. You're still standing in disobedience until they do all three of the things that I've asked them to do. And the same thing is true with us and the Lord. If there's three things he's asked us to do, and we do one of them, we can say, well, we did better than the guy who did zero. Well, maybe but we're still disobedient until you've done all of them. The only way to obey at all is to to obey fully. If I tell you to take seven steps to obey me, you have to take seven steps. If you take six, you haven't obeyed me. If you take four, you haven't. And you can say, well, I took six, so I did better than the guy who took four. Maybe so, but you're both still disobedient. Are you less disobedient than him? I'm not sure that there are grades of that. It's yes or no. Either you've taken seven steps or you haven't. And anything less than seven all falls on the line of disobeying. The only way to obey me when I say take seven steps is to take seven steps. That's hard for us because we want to grade, especially on a curve. Well, look, I did better than them and they did better than them, so aren't I good enough? Haven't I done enough because I've done more than a lot of other people, so shouldn't the line be moved back? It's not with the Lord. Maybe it helps this way. 
with God, it's not arbitrary. He doesn't just say, take seven steps because he wants you to do that just to show that he's powerful and that you obey him. You're in a burning house and you can't see because it's so smoky and I'm yelling outside, seven steps, that's where the front door is. Does it matter if you take two or if you take six? You're still going to die because you didn't get out of the house. That's how it is with the Lord. His desire is to rescue as many of us as possible. Getting close doesn't, you're still dead. Unless you get all the way out of the house, we have to obey him fully or we might as well not even start. Partial obedience doesn't get us anywhere with the Lord. That's kind of a tangent, but just you can kind of keep that in mind. Partial obedience, it's still disobedience. The thing I want us to focus on this morning is... Uh, actually, it's, a, it's farther down. This is Judges 2, starting in verse 6. So you've seen it. God said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to drive these people out of the land. Don't worship their gods. Don't marry them. You've got to stay away from them. You're my people. Stay separate from these other guys. And we just read they didn't do it. This is starting in verse 6. After Joshua, he was the leader of Israel at this time, had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. This is also a tangent. Mother's Day, this is important for you parents. You've got to pass things on. People say we're one generation away from atheism. We are. It's not enough just for your kids to see. They have to hear. At some point, we have to, throughout Deuteronomy, God told, through Moses, told the Israelites, you've got to be teaching your kids this stuff. For us as parents, that's an important thing. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Those are false gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook and served Baal and the Ashtaroths. Those are other false gods. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges, that's really like a leader, not like a judge with a gavel, who saved them out of the hands of, their, of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers have walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived, for the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had, who had not had previous battle experience. I'm going to skip all the names of the groups. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their forefathers through Moses. 
The Israelites lived among the Canaanites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served other gods. This is a cycle. If you read the, through the book of Judges, what we just read is repeated about 10 times, 10 or 12 times throughout the book of Judges. For hundreds of years, this was Israel's life. They, God had established a covenant with them in Exodus and in Deuteronomy before they crossed over into the land, and they did it again in Joshua, the 23rd and 24th chapter. They, they again established this covenant. You're my people, right? Yeah, I'm your God, right? Yeah, this is what it means for you to be my people. This is what it means for me to be your God. Follow the deal. If you hold up your end of the bargain, I'll hold up mine to the bargain. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. Spelled out very plainly, the people repeatedly said, yeah, we're, we're good with that. Sign us up. One point, Joshua even says, they say, we want to do it. Joshua says, no, you don't. And they say, no, we really, really do. They knew what they were getting into. But after Joshua died, this generation with him died. They hadn't passed on these truths about the Lord. Things go downhill in a hurry. And so for hundreds of years, there's this cycle of the, the Israelites are unfaithful to the Lord for a period of time. They don't repent. God judges them. And the way he judges them is he allows some foreign nation to take over them. And if, again, if you read through Judges, it's different groups every time. And he allows these groups to really oppress his people for sometimes it's seven years, sometimes it's 18 years, sometimes it's more than that. Then the people get tired of it. They groan, they cry out for mercy, they repent, and God has mercy on them, and he raises up a judge. You may have heard of Samson, you may have heard of Gideon, you may have heard of Deborah. These people who God raises up, delivers the Israelites, and as long as that judge is alive, everything's good. But as soon as that judge dies, they go back down the toilet again. And so it's just this constant circle, and it gets worse. As you read through Judges, the moral character of the nation gets worse and worse and worse, and the last two chapters of Judges is one of the worst stories you'll read in the whole Bible. So that's kind of what's going on. That's this cycle. It's not really news to us. God does what he says. He's trustworthy, and he says, if you guys don't hold up, you're into the bargain, this is what's going to happen. And that's what happened. The Israelites were unfaithful to him over a period of time, and he judged them for it. And then they repented, and then he returned to them, had mercy on them, was gracious to them, and delivered them. That's not news for us. The thing that I thought was interesting in this verse, and this is where I want us to stay, Verse 23, the Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Now that to me is a little off-center. We read in Deuteronomy 7, right way back at the beginning, God said you've got to push these guys out, drive them out of the land, because if you don't, you're going to worship their gods, you're going to marry their kids, you're going to make covenants with them. It's going to be really bad. So that was the push, get them out. We read that the, that the Israelites were not able to get them out. So God, yeah, absolutely, you should judge them because they didn't do what you said. But then this says the Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out. Now that doesn't seem fair to me. How is God going to hold them responsible for something he didn't do? If he's in control of the situation, he's the one that let them remain. He's the one that didn't drive them out. How come he's saying to the Israelites, He's, he's holding them responsible for that. That's a little bit of what I want us to talk about. You can make a case, and I think it's a good case, that if the Canaanites, those are all the people who lived in the promised land, we're just going to shorten it to Canaanites so I don't have to say all those other nations ten times. So you can make a case that if the Canaanites had been pushed out of the land immediately, all this stuff that we read about in Judges never would have happened. 
They wouldn't, the Israelites wouldn't have worshipped these Canaanite gods because they wouldn't have known them, because there wouldn't have been any Canaanites to say, hey, come meet our gods, come worship in our temple, all that stuff. If the Canaanites had been pushed out of the land immediately, then there wouldn't have been anybody for the Israelites to marry. They wouldn't have married them because they wouldn't have been there. So they wouldn't have had that temptation. If the Canaanites had been driven out of the land, they couldn't have made a covenant with them because there's nobody there to make a treaty with if they're all driven out of the land. If God is so angry at what the Israelites have done with the Canaanites, why didn't he just get rid of them at the beginning? That's what he told them to do. If he knew this was going to be such a struggle for his people that they were going to get hung on this, then how come he didn't just drive all the Canaanites out initially? Deuteronomy 7, I think this is verse 7. Don't flip over there. God says to the Israelites, this is way before they take the land. He says, you guys, I'm not going to drive everybody out immediately. Y'all are a small number of people. They're a big group of people. There's not enough of you to take over the land. Wild animals will come in. You can't inhabit all of the land. So they knew going in, the Israelites knew going in, it wasn't going to be all cake. They made a strong start. Read Joshua. They made a strong start. They took Jericho, you know, walk around the city, the walls come down. They take another city called Ai. They, they, they really take every city they go to. There's northern cities and southern cities. They take out all these kings. They inhabit all these towns, but they don't get everything. And according to Deuteronomy, the reason they don't get everything is because there's just not enough of them. There's just not enough of them to maintain civilization in this massive area. And so God allowed the Canaanites, to remain until his people got bigger. Now, we don't live there. God doesn't give us physical land. We don't have physical enemies. There's no wild animals coming to take our stuff. But we've talked a lot this year about the deal that God has for us. We've called it the good works. That's Ephesians 2.10 that God wants us to do, his plan for our life, his will for our life, his purpose for our life, destiny, if you like that word. We've talked the past few weeks about the fences that God lays in our life, these boundary markers that mark the area where we're supposed to have influence and, you know, we don't want to move the boundaries. However you want to understand that concept, that God has something for you. There's a life that God has created for all of us to step into and live. We have that. And for many of you, you might feel like you've made a start into it. And it was easy at the beginning, and it was good, and there was fruit, and it was wonderful. And then you start banging into a wall, or you feel like somebody's tied a rope around your ankle, and you can't run as fast anymore. And you start wondering what in the world is going on. And maybe you start questioning God. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I didn't. I thought that was the Lord speaking to me. It wasn't the Lord. And when we say speaking to me, I don't mean audibly. I mean the Lord speaks through his Bible through the Bible, a lot of times it's just thoughts and feelings that we have. You feel like the Lord, maybe I missed it. You know, maybe I thought it was the Lord, but it was heartburn. Maybe I was, I, I'm, I've been disobedient. God is not happy with me anymore. There are all kinds of questions that come up when we start strong, like the Israelites did. We start strong. The walls come crashing down when we march around the city. That's obviously God. But then we can't get the guys out. We can't finish the job. He said, drive them out. We can't do that. We're unable to finish the drill, and that can cause some anxiety and some questioning in us. Did I miss it? What happened? Am I supposed, maybe this is as far as I'm supposed to go, and I'm not supposed to go any farther. And it could be for you, just like for the Israelites, you're just not big enough yet. This is what God has for you, 
you're not big enough yet. Just because. Nothing wrong with you. You're just, you haven't had time to get big enough to control, to maintain this territory. The Israelites are just weren't enough of them. They had to have more babies in order to control, maintain this land that God had. And I think the same thing can happen for us. Sometimes we're not big enough for all God has for us. I have this theory. This is not in the Bible. This is just me, so whatever. Um, it's, I feel like if, uh, if you've ever started exercising, usually like the first, to me, about the first month is usually pretty easy. You see results. It's not that hard. You're sore after the first couple of days, but you feel good. It's kind of the January New Year's resolution. Everybody's in the gym. Then about the six-week mark, there's a wall. You stop seeing results. It's a pain to get up in the morning. That's when everybody. That's why nobody's in the gym in February. You bang into the six-week wall, and it's easy to quit. I feel like that's how things are spiritually a lot of times. God gives us this window. He kind of clears the obstacles for the little, to, to get us started. He knows us. First step is the hardest step. So he kind of creates a runway. Go down this way. Then once we get into it, some... We're four weeks, five weeks, six weeks into it, then kind of reality sets in, and we start banging into a little resistance. And I think his hope is that we'll continue to press in, but a lot of us quit at that point, and we say, well, you know what? Maybe exercise isn't all it's cracked up to be. I'm not getting the benefits they said I would get, so I'm just going to go back and do whatever it is that I was doing. We do the same thing. That's a theory that I have with the kind of the six. There's this on-ramp that I think the Lord gives us when we're doing something new. I think he kind of makes it easy at the beginning to get us moving forward with the thinking being, once you're moving forward, that momentum will continue to carry you through. A lot of times it doesn't work. We quit. And you might find yourself bumping up against one of those walls. You might find yourself with some resistance. There was something we talked about, our deals, and maybe you wrote that on the index card back in January. This is what God wants me to do. And maybe you started taking steps, and maybe you saw some stuff, and now you're not. And you're starting to wonder, well, maybe I missed it. And that could be you, and I would say it could very well be that you're just not big enough yet. So there's some things that, you, that God won't give you because you will not be able to maintain them at this point. The, the idea behind the promised land is, this, I'm giving y'all this land. This is my gift to you. He wasn't just giving it to them. He wanted them to be able to hold on to it. 3.2 says this, God allowed these other nations to stay in the land to, only to teach warfare, that word only is really probably better especially, especially to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. So you see this idea, not only were the Israelites not big enough to take the land, the, the, the younger generation didn't know how to fight. And if you didn't know how to fight, you were going to lose what you had. The promised land was, it, the Bible says there's a land flowing with milk and honey and the Israelites weren't the only ones to know. That was a good place to live. Everybody wanted it. And so when the Israelites took over, if they didn't know how to fight, somebody else was going to come calling, and they were going to try to take the land from them. If they didn't know how to fight, they were going to lose it. And again, God's intention was not to give it to them for a few years and then have them lose it in battle. It was supposed to be a permanent possession for them. So these guys needed to learn how to fight. Their parents knew how to fight, and their grandparents knew how to fight, but they didn't. They might have thought they did, but they didn't. A lot of times we don't really know everything that we think we know. And sometimes a test is what is needed to show us, hey, 
there's some more stuff I've got to learn. I have a nine-year-old. She doesn't care what the unposted speed limit in a residential area is. She'll care a lot when she's 15, and she has to answer that question in order to get a driver's license. A lot of times it takes a test to motivate us to learn something. Well, if I don't need to know it, I don't want to know it. I've got plenty of other stuff I can do. TV's on. I don't want to have to... But if you can show me why I need to know, well, that motivates me to learn something new. I think you see here, there, the, the word there is test. God was testing them. It was a teaching test. He was testing them in order to teach them how to fight. If they don't know how to fight, they don't get to maintain the land. And it could be for you, this deal that God has for you. You've gotten started. You're doing good. You're not quite big enough yet. You've got to grow. And you can kind of think of that in any way that you want. I would say a lot of that just, it's, experience usually where we have to grow and you can't rush that you get experience by living you just got to get bigger in terms of your life experience your experience with the Lord and or it could be there's something you need to learn and so it could be that you're bumping up against something because in the Lord is trying it's a teaching test what he's wanting to show you is you don't know everything that you need to know yet you think you do but you don't in this tough situation where you're banging up against a wall, where you're facing resistance, it's going to show you you've got to learn something. There's a skill that you need that you don't have. This will be an easy example because you're all sitting in this room. When I was 23 or 24, I felt like the Lord led me to start a church. I was like, that's, that's the thing, that's the direction we need to go. I didn't, we didn't start on this until I was probably 31, I think, about 31. So that's six or seven years where I got frustrated a lot because I felt like, well, my deal, it's, I, I, you know, on my index card, you want me to start a church in Marietta, and it's not happening. I'm on staff with another church, and they're encouraging me, but nothing is working. And I spent a lot of time frustrated with the pace of things and the lack of results. And looking back, I realized not only was I not big enough, I didn't know near, I would have killed people. It would have been awful for anybody who would come to a church that I tried to start when I was 25. I was an idiot. I'm probably only a little bit above that now, but it, was ter- it would not have been... And I didn't know that at the time. I thought I'd read the books on church planning. I'd been to seminary. I'd worked on staff. What else do I need to know? A lot. And I did not recognize that until I got into it. It was a teaching test for me. And while I was on staff with this other church, I got more responsibility. And as I got more responsibility, I recognized all the things I didn't know. And so I had a safe place to learn those things, acquire those skills. And it could very well be the thing that for you. It's not that you've missed God. There's just some more stuff you've got to learn. So learn it. This is the last section. Verse uh, 222. I will use them, these are the Canaanites again, to test Israel. That's the same word that he uses in verse 2 of chapter 3. It's the exact same word. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. Now, this is a different kind of test completely. I think every one of us will undergo a test like this, I think, more than once in life, at least once. You might have already done it. There's a test that's intended to say, hey, you don't know what you need to know. Learn something. And then there's a test that reveals what's already in our heart. That's the dominant theme of testing in the Bible. It's a, t- it's a revealing test. The, it, it's a situation that demonstrates, allows us to demonstrate what's really in our heart. We've said before, Romans 8, 29, God's desire is for every one of us to 
become as much like Jesus as possible before we die. That's the goal for everyone he creates. That's the finish line. He wants all of us, everyone he's created, to become as much like Jesus as possible before we die. That's what he's going for. And a lot of us, we don't know our own hearts. It's difficult to really know what's going on in here. And oftentimes, it's only through a test that we'll see. That's why we give people tests. It's an opportunity to demonstrate what you know, what you can do. A lot of us might think we're actually farther down the road than we really are. I'm a forgiving person. I don't really know until someone I love stabs me in the back. That's when I know. That's an opportunity to really figure out what's in here. I think I'm a generous person. I don't really know until the economy's in the tank and I have an opportunity to support people going to Scotland. That's a test. Are you or are you not? There are a lot of things that we think that we don't do. If, if, if God had asked the Israelites, hey, will you guys stay faithful to me? Absolutely we will. Are you guys going to worship other gods? Of course not. You're the best. We're not going to worship these other gods. Are you going to marry their kids? No. We've got plenty of people here to marry. You told us not to do that. Absolutely we're going to follow. That's what they said time and time again. Absolutely we're going to stick with you. Joshua 24, 16 through 21 says this. Far be it from us. This is the people talking. Joshua says that kind of famous verse, choose you this day who you're going to serve. They say, we're going to serve God. No, you're not. Yes, we are. Far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too, along with you, Joshua, will serve the Lord because he's our God. Joshua says, you can't do that. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. They thought that. They absolutely were going to serve him. And it wasn't until they had this test that it revealed the condition of their heart. And a lot of times that's where we are too. God, I don't, my opinion, and you can disagree, I don't think God sets up the conditions for these tests. I think he just takes advantage of the situations that are present in our life. We live in a fallen world, there's all kinds of junk. He doesn't have to go around making things junky for us. That's just how it is living in this world. I think it was uh, Judges 1, let me find it, verse um, 19. It says, The men of Judah took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because the people had iron chariots. They had better weapons. The guys from Judah couldn't get rid of the Canaanites because the Canaanites had iron They had better weapons. I don't think God gave them better weapons. They just had it, and it was an opportunity for God to test them. I think the same thing happens for us. This side note, God never tempts. Temptation to evil, God never does that. That doesn't accomplish any of his purposes. He wants us to become as much like Jesus as possible. Sinning, doing evil doesn't move us in that direction. So God never tempts us to evil. I think God tests us all the time. I don't think he necessarily sets up the conditions for that. Maybe he does. I don't necessarily think so. I think he just takes advantage of the world that we live in. Hey, your boss happens to be a jerk. Great. Gives God an opportunity to test you and see what's really in your heart. It's Mother's Day and you don't like your mom. It's an opportunity for God to test what's in your heart. Will you honor her even though you don't like her? 
He didn't do that. It's just it's an op- all of those things to me, they're opportunities that he takes. These guys happen to have better chariots than you. So they're going to be here for a while. Will you stay faithful to me with these guys living in your neighborhood? Or are you going to start serving their gods and marrying their kids? God doesn't necessarily set that up. He just takes advantage, and he does the same thing in our life. It's not about blaming God. I hear people all the time. We have a lot of guys who kind of wander through here who are looking for direction, looking for help, all of that. And oftentimes they say, I feel like God is testing me. I feel like, and maybe he is. He's trying to figure, okay, are you passing? What's in your heart? The goal is for you to become as much like Jesus as possible. It's not about blaming God for the bad things that are going on in your life. I don't think he caused that stuff. He'll take advantage of it. He doesn't waste anything. I don't think he causes it. You can disagree with that if you want. I think he wants to know, and this, don't throw rocks at me, I think God wants to know. Well, God knows everything. Well, I think he's big enough to not know things if he doesn't want to. Genesis 22, God tests Abraham, same word. He tests Abraham with Isaac. You remember that story? We don't have, we don't have time to talk about it. Here's this son of promise. He promised Abraham 25 years you're going to have a son. When he's 100 years old, his wife is 90, they have this son, Isaac. Only kid. You don't get another shot when you're 190. This is it. So here's your son. He's 12 years old, and God says, hey, will you take him on a mountain and kill him for me? Okay, so he and Isaac go up on a mountain, ties Isaac to an altar, picks up a knife, is about to kill him, sacrifice him to the Lord, and an angel says, stop, Abraham, don't do it. And this is Genesis 22, verse 12. This is what the angel of the Lord, speaking for God, says, Now I know that you fear the Lord, because you have not withheld your son from me. Now I know, which makes me think I didn't know before. I wanted to know. I think these tests, it's not just, it's, it's not class. Where, you're try, where your professor wants to know if you can design an engine, uh, uh, a bridge on paper. It's life, where he says build it, and then drive your car across it. That's, where, that's what we're doing here. He wants to know. And you can, we can get theological on what God already knows, but the way I read it, he learned something from Abraham that day. Could he have known it otherwise? Probably so. But I think there are things he doesn't want to know because he wants to see. And I think all the little guys in heaven are looking, saying, is he going to do it? Whoever that is, angels or whatever, they're all looking on this mountain, is he going to do it? Will he do it? And he passes the test. And then they all say, now we know. He fears the Lord. And I think the same thing happens with us. He wants to, it's not playtime. It's real. It's discovery for God. It's discovery for us. He wants to know, are you going to pass? Are you going to do this? What is in your heart? Are you going to worship the other gods just because the guy next door does? He wants to know. And so he puts us or allows us, however you want to say that, in these situations that reveal our heart. And we can gripe and we can moan and say, what if it was different, but it's not. It is our life. And it's a test. And it reveals our character. Ultimately, we've said this before, what's in you comes out of you. And it comes out of you when times are tough. It comes out of you when you're tested. And if you don't like what comes out, take that as grace. That's an opportunity to change things. What you don't want to do is figure out that it it was seven steps to get out of the house. And you just took five. 
So if, you, if God is revealing something about your heart, it's a chance for me and you and all of us to say, you know what? I'm not there yet. These guys, they didn't get it. They just kept spiraling down. We don't want that to be us. If it's seven steps, then let's take seven. And if I think I've taken seven and I've only taken four, praise the Lord that he's willing to show me now and not when it's too late to finish. Let's pray. Bo, you guys can come back up.